At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hmm? Ah! Huh. Hey, everybody. I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. <laughs> and this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the Netflix show Stranger Things. Today we'll be covering the season four premiere, season four, episode one, titled The Hellfire Club. Welcome, Sean. It's so good to have you back for the premiere. How are you? Oh, I'm excited to be back for this. So <laughs> when when you asked me, you said, hey, can you come on for the season premiere of Stranger Things? I was like, absolutely. And what I love too, so like this is season four. So but this mm-hmm. was the this was the show that kicked off Stranger Things. Yes. Or Strange Indeed, a podcast. And I was thinking back to it and we started season one mm-hmm. uh, right before season two came out. So we finished recording season one, did season two, and the season three premiere. I watched in the same place that I got to watch the season four premiere. Uh, I'm down at uh, a cabin that we spent some time in. Nice. Um, so I got to see it here. Perfect kind of macabre, you know, isolated, perfect for this season's kickoff. So I'm really excited to talk about it and really excited to be back with, with you, Rima. Um, I know, uh, I don't know if you listened to the episode, I sent it to you, but mm-hmm. um, strange, strange indeed is something I've been missing a ton of, you know, my scheduling unfortunately doesn't miss it because i am super busy <laughs> i know the uh, feeling yes <laughs> i was just promoted to t-ball coach so i've got that uh that got that going for me as well congratulations <laughs> thank you it came with a huge pay raise yes um from zero dollars to zero dollars <laughs> right it's a thank- but uh job. <laughs> um yeah it's fun i love being it's, with my son getting to play that but yeah but in, a, in one of our Language of Bromance episodes, we did a Replace a Bro episode, and uh, you were on one of my picks, Rima, because Aww. like I said, you were like my big sis, and I'm excited to you know, get back kind of in our wheelhouse for stranger things and kind of chit-chat about this. So again, thank you very much for bringing me on for this. Of course. Um, it's, uh, you know, if we want to kind of jump right into the sh- episode, like this was one of probably my favorite episodes of stranger things oh wow cool and i and i say that just because it was more mature mm-hmm. it was in the genre that i lo- like it's always kind of been like somewhat horror themed but it's always been more like goosebump horror theme like and i feel like this year they've just jumped it right into like okay it's a little bit more mature it's a little bit more scary and I am all in on this. Oh, good. Well, I'm I'm happy to have you back um, for this episode because it, it wouldn't feel like a strange indeed episode covering Stranger Things without you here. So I'm thank you for agreeing to join me um, on your holiday weekend and at the in the cabin with your family. I appreciate you taking the time. And yeah, you are so in the right environment because. 
Um, this was a creepy ass episode and, um, I don't know if I were you, I'd be super scared. Like I was scared, um, up to those last few moments there of this episode. And I was like, I had my feet up, I, like my feet were on the floor and I had to immediately pick them up. I was freaking out. I'm with you. This was, I think a really strong premiere. It, Sean, it's been three years since we covered. I, I had a, <laughs> I had a question on how long it's been. So yeah, yeah, three years is such a long time. I know. And I don't know in the show how long it's been. Cause this takes place in 1986, mm-hmm. which was a great year because somebody was born that year who, uh, you, you know, so of ancient. one of us, we'll let you guys decide <laughs> who it was that was born in 86. But, um, yeah, it's, and I, like I said, I think didn't the last season take place in 84? Because wasn't it during the election year? I'm pretty sure it was 84. Yeah. So, okay. and, and we're in 1986 now. So, so relatively close. Yeah. So relatively close to like what the actual timeline has been, which I always enjoy. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, in Indiana Jones, the, movie, the new movie was horrible, mm-hmm. but they did the same thing where they set the movie how many years it's been for like Harrison Ford. So it wasn't yeah. like, you know, it's 60 year old Harrison Ford, but we're going to say it's been five years. It's like, no, it's been 20 some years. So getting into that kind of like same timeline really, I think, adds to the show as well. It does. It does. But man, have those kids grown. Um, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time. And and yeah, it was just, you know, with COVID and everything pushing sh- so many shows, uh, kind of knocking things out of production and everyone having to take a pause. Um, and, and boy, puberty hits boys pretty hard. And um, it, you can really tell in this show how much the boys have really grown um, anyway. But I'm with you, you know, just at least general vibes about the show. I loved it. I, I got a total uh, nightmare on Elm Street vibe. Um, with, yep. with a little bit of sprinkling of Evil Dead um, in there as yeah, well. Just, yeah. a, just a little sprinkle, I think. But I, I bet it was mostly for me, Nightmare on Elm Street kind of vibes. Um, there's a lot of new cast members, which tell me there's going to be a lot of deaths this season. <laughs> you know, you've got to have a lot of red shirts out there, right? Um, yep. And I'm digging it. I, I, I'm loving the scary vibe. The Duffer Brothers told us. Um, in some interviews prior to the season coming out that it was, you know, they were going to get to this darker side and I'm here for it. Um, you know, absolutely. So I wanted to do, before we jump into the, the episode itself, I wanted to give, because I, I didn't get a chance to do a recap episode. Um, our, our schedules just have not allowed for it. So I wanted to give a really quick recap of, of what happened from seasons one through three, just to kind of bring us up to speed of where we're at. So Season one um, was all about the disappearance of Will, right? And with that was the appearance of Eleven. Twelve-year-old Will Byers vanished on his way home uh, from a Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Um, Everyone's searching for him. He's dragged by a monster that they nicknamed the Demogorgon into another dimension called the Upside Down, where he stayed primarily the entire time during um, that whole season. We didn't get to see a whole lot of Will. He was um, trapped there. Um, He was rescued by his mother, Joyce, and the local chief of police, Hopper, whom we grew to love. Um, Will had friends, Mike, Dustin, and Lucas. They met and protected this 12-year-old girl, whom we come to know as Elle. She had escaped from the custody of Dr. Brennan at the Hawkins Laboratory, this real shady government lab posing as a part of the U.S. Energy Department. Um, 
Dr. Brennan, who stole 11 from her mother, had been experimenting on her, um, trying to use her as a telepathic weapon against the Russians in the Cold War. Um, so fast forward into the finale, you know, we've got all this drama going on. You know, we, we, we lost Barb. Um, she died on the other side, um, RIP Barb. Um, and then in the finale, the Demogorgon attacked Dr. Brennan, possibly leaving him dead. Um, Eleven used her powers to destroy the creature, creature but she also disappeared. Um, the final shot showed Will vomiting up a slug-like creature, indicating he brought something back with him from the upside down. Um, season two... Um, all about polywogs and demodogs. Um, so how much time had passed between seasons one and two? There was almost a year between um, season one and two. Season two starts around Halloween of 1984, close to the one-year anniversary of Will's disappearance. Um, Will, who, who his classmates have given him this unflattering nickname, Zombie Boy, um, super cruel. Kids are still uh, were assholes in the 80s, just like they are still today. Um, he has episodes in which he freezes. He sees this long-limbed, shadowy monster looming over the town. Um, and he um, it ends up getting, um, let's see, infected, you know, and, and um, being used as like a puppet, essentially. Uh, the little slug that Will vomited up, up at the end of season one uh, became uh, a demodog, um, as Dustin uh, coined that phrase. Um, and, and he actually kind of kept him as a pet um, that he named uh, D'Artagnan or Dart. Um, so after killing the Demogorgon, Eleven hid in the woods. She was discovered by a hunter. Um, Hopper realizes she's there and he's leaving her egos and food and things like that out into the woods. He finds her, keeps her safe in this cabin that he has out there. Um, Elle gets pretty frustrated living out in the cabin, goes and finds her birth mother, finds out that she actually has a mother, goes and finds her, learns about her and what happened to her mother, finds out a little bit about Eleven and how her mother tried to come save her. Um, the laboratory gets shut down at the end of the season. Um, we get some newcomers, Max and Billy. More to come about him. Um, so now we jump into season three. So a lot to catch up on. And I did a whole rewatch, so a lot of this is pretty fresh. I don't know if a lot of folks were able to go back and do a rewatch, but I just wrapped it up whenever I started season four um, last night. So a lot to catch up on. You'll recall season three ended with an epic battle at Star Call. Star Court Mall, in which the Mind Flayer, now less of a shadow monster, more of a covered in the melted flesh and bones of Hawkins citizens monster. Um, he was foiled in its mission to kill Eleven before eradicating every living thing in our dimension. Before Billy sacrificed himself, Joyce and Hopper were able to blow up the Russian laser beam that the guys were using to um, open a gate to the Upside Down. You remember all that stuff, right? <laughs> and then you also remember the Dr. Owens covered up the battle with the story of a tragic mall fire. And while everyone thinks Hopper's tragically dead, we know otherwise. Um, and there's also still a dem there's a demigorgon there in Russia too that we saw there at the end, um, and so yeah, and then everything that went down with the mind mind flare eleven lost her powers, so yeah, lots of terrible things to process there. So there, that is a very quick take on seasons one through three. Now we're ready to jump into four again. It's been a hundred and eighty five days. Um, since yeah, 185 days since um, the end of season three, so we're about six months in the future in 1986. So, well, and you forgot the spinoff with the Black Widow, where Hopper actually fights for the Russians. Uh, <laughs> it was really interesting. I don't know how he does the time jump stuff, but 
but it's uh yeah it's nice that disney and netflix are kind of crossing over it's like a multiverse thing happening here i don't know (laughs) yes you're right how can i leave that out um okay well sean as my special guest today i would love for you to kick it off um with your first point um what what have you got uh, well, it's definitely just the overall theme that they're going for in the seasons. And it's just the horror theme. Like, you know, like you had mentioned off the, the bat, like Nightmare on Elm Street. And I got a lot of those vibes early on as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually got a lot of kind of it Pennywise feel too. Like in that first scene where Chrissy's throwing up, like at the door was very much kind of like a Pennywise evil being kind of like feeding off your fears. You're right. Good point. Yep. Uh, and they also really kicked it off like right in the opening. So I don't remember any of the other Stranger Things episodes having like a Netflix like uh, title card uh, with a kind of a specific to the show. I haven't watched a lot of the newer Netflixes. So I don't know if that's what they're doing. But when they do the Netflix, it was just a ba-dum. It was more of just like an eerie kind of scary, like definitely getting you in the mode of what this episode, this series is going to be about. I did enjoy that. That was something different that I noticed too. It, it had the um, the red and the like background and thunder and lightning happening. That was a nice little effect. Uh, see, so I talked about the it. So it's also there was a scene where she was walking out towards the woods, and I don't remember what this show was. I I, I need to look it back up. But like my mom used to make me watch. Like, and that made me watch, but she'd have like scary movies on probably at the age that I shouldn't have been watching them. Mm-hmm. And there was one that took place in the eighties that very much had this feel of the scene where she's walking across the woods in her cheerleader outfit across the football field into the woods. And it was about some like demonic or possessed cheerleader that was going around and killing people. Oh, like in one of the scenes, like she threw a football through like the football player. Like he was a star football player and he's running and she throws the football and like goes through him. And it did what I love with, uh, and I'm spoiling it, but I'm, I'm spoiling it. Cause I don't even know what the heck the show is called. <laughs> I think it's fine if it was in the eighties. We're, 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 we've reached that threshold, <laughs> but, but there's the end scene where it's like, Oh, well, we got rid of the big bad and the guy and his girlfriend are in the car. And all of a sudden like a hand reaches through the seat and kills his girlfriend. And it's the demon cheerleader. She's like, ha ha ha, you're mine now. Um, or something along those lines, wow. but like, that was really like my first exposure to like, you know, in horror movies, like the dead thing, isn't really dead. And so I love that they're kind of going for that old, like eighties, cheesy, not really cheesy, but I, so I say cheesy, like you think of like nightmare on Elm streets, like five, six, you know, uh, Friday the 13th later on, mm-hmm. you know, even, you know, like they, they start to get cheesy, but the first yeah. one or two are actually legitimately like grungy and dark and scary. And I feel like that's what they're really putting into this. Like, it feels like, like you said, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one is a very scary movie. Yes. Like even watching it to this day, like gives me the creeps. It took me or like Lost Boys, mm-hmm. like Lost Boys is a pretty scary movie. If you sit down and watch it as a preteen teen. Um, and I really feel like they capture a lot of that in this. And, um, you know, one of the things that kind of tied all this too, you know, like this show has done what somebody had said, like, um, the Harry Potter books did this, like they grow with the audience. Oh, so like yeah. her, the first, and I haven't read through them, but like the way it was explained made sense. But like the first Harry Potter book is very much for like a, you know, adolescent preteen and it gets to more like preteen teen and even into like young adult. And that's what I feel like they don't this like 
you think about the first season, you could really say that's kind of like a stand by me or a like Goonies type of movie. Like there's some hard stuff in it, but for the most part, like you could have a, you know, 12 or 13 year old watch that and be okay. And as that 12 or 13 year old grows, like season two, after a year or two would fit for them season three. Yeah. You know, when they're kind of just in high school or, you know, right at the end of junior high, they could probably watch that. And this season feels very much for a high school esque teenager and they could watch it and be comfortable and not scared or overwhelmed or anything like that. So I really like that they've kind of not stuck to a specific theme and have really grown throughout. And again, just this, uh, my number five, uh, is just that it's going to be the horror theme. But like I mentioned it, Nightmare on Elm Street. And I loved at the end. Uh, I, I can't remember what his name was. It's our new, uh, Billy, essentially Billy 2.0. Oh, Jason, the, Jason. the basketball jock. So do you think this is uh, based off of uh, the pod uh, uh, podcast because Jason, <laughs> like, is this, is this what Jason was like in the eighties? I don't know. I'd have to ask, but I, I don't, <laughs> I'm not getting that same vibe. <laughs> so I don't but, know. Uh, you know, up until the very end, when we see her kind of do a exorcist slash night run Elm street uh, into uh, Chrissy's life. Mm-hmm. You know, he, Jason's kind of shaking her, yelling, wake up, wake up. I don't like this. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Um, Eddie. Um, Eddie, okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I thought you meant um, uh, Jason the jock, uh, her, Chrissy's boyfriend. Oh, I gotcha. I'm sorry. Yeah. Eddie, okay. No, I, yeah, I think Eddie would give me more Jason vibes. Like maybe it's a mix <laughs> of the two. I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> But, but yeah, my number five is just that they're kind of going with this whole horror theme and I am 100% in. Me too. I, I, I agree with, with everything that you're saying. I loved, I love horror and, and you're right there, there were some spooky elements and in, in a couple of like scary elements a little from um, even season one, you know, with the Demogorgon and the upside down, I found, found that stuff pretty creepy and i really thought they um kind of leaned into it a little bit more in season three uh where it did feel a little bit more scarier and um like the stakes were really high it felt for me anyway in season three um and and it was i thought really intense um especially again like i I just did this rewatch within the last couple of weeks of the first three seasons so um you know i feel like i'm still kind of feeling that a little bit but wow uh they they really are hitting it hard because they really bookended this episode or yes this episode with this scary opener with this flashback which I'll talk a little bit more about and then the last scene there with Chrissy I mean if 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 that's how they're setting the tone how they're bookending this episode into this horror I'm I'm here for it and I am a huge fan I've talked about it multiple times of Nightmare on Elm Street the original not so much like maybe the sixth or seventh movie at that point, but um, the first one, Nightmare on Elm Street, and then Dream Warriors was always uh, my favorites of that particular franchise. I grew up on those, and it's still scary. I can still watch Nightmare on Elm Street today, the original, um, and and be like, oh wow, that's a really good '80s slasher flick, scary movie. And I was scared. It still kind of gets to me. I'm really, I, I'm digging it. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I, I say bring it on. Yeah, I, I like being scared. Um, yeah, and I, I I just love that they're putting that like yeah like that '80s like they they're at the non cheesy part of the '80s mm-hmm. horror slasher movies, and that's 
you know, like uh, the originals, the not all the sequels. Re- <laughs> yeah, well, and like recently, and I say recently, it's been twenty plus years. Like the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. had kind of that feel. Um, trying to think of maybe some other ones, like maybe the Dawn of the Dead remake kind of had that aggressive, or not really aggressive, but that kind of gritty feel. But but yeah, it just it like it just uh, it just speaks eighties horror, and I yeah, again, I'm for it. Yeah. I, I'm here for it too. I'm having a, a good time with it. Although I'm really kind of scared for everyone in the show. Um, that's a really great way to start it off. So I'm going to jump in um, with with my first point here. And that's just... Um, so now that Will is gone, everyone just happens to be into D&D again. Uh, <laughs> I'm just... I'm thinking, poor Will. I feel so bad for him you know season one he gets kidnapped by the demon right he's he's in the upside down running from the demogorgon completely tortured season two he gets possessed by the by the mind flayer um and and he doesn't get to spend a lot of time with his friends because he's completely stressed out um by what's happening with him um being possessed and um the the demon essentially taking him over and then season three, basically the entire season, he gets ignored by his friends. You know, he's he's either um, on death's door on the upside down, uh, punching bag, you know, for the Demogorgon or whatever evil is happening there, or his friends are totally including him, including or or ignoring him, and and that includes Mike, his best friend. He, he really can't win, and you know it. it, it it brought it all back to me watching I, whenever I was binging seasons one through three. Uh, he really, all he wanted to do season three is like, guys, you know, can we just go play some D&D? And they're like, no, you know, um, because they're dealing with girl problems, right? You know, they're, they're, they've all got girlfriend problems and they're all into girls now. And Will just wants to, you know, uh, play D&D in the basement and hang out with the guys and wants it to be like the old times, right? And I, I, I know we talked a lot about that during season three where, where you kind of have this, you know, little bit of coming of age and some growing pains there that, you know, as you start growing up and your interests kind of change a little bit and, you know, you're not always into the same things and, and, you know, you got some of your friends are kind of moving on and growing up and you're still kind of stuck a little bit in the past. And it's not necessarily a bad thing or anything, but in season three, I remember, uh, he gave up his, uh, when they were moving, cause they were packing up and, and moving there in the last episode and he was boxing up some things to, uh, donate and his D and D game and all of his, his stuff was in a box and he was donating it. And Mike looked at him and was like, are you sure? And he's like, He's like, it's fine. He's like, when I come to visit you, I'll, I'll borrow yours. Um, he's like, no, you know, no, no big deal. Um, and they ended up giving it to um, Lucas's sister, Erica, which I'm sure we'll talk about here. Oh, she's, yeah. She's really great. Um, but it, it, it made me feel really bad for him. It's like, you know, he just wants to play games in his basement and hang out with his friends. And, oh, well, hey, we don't have time for that. And now he's left town. He has no friends in his new school. Mike seems to barely write to him, you know, and keep in touch. And, you know, well, guess what, Will? We're, we're here. We're playing. Um, you know, we've got a whole group of new friends. We've joined a new D&D club. You know, sorry, you can't be a part of it. Um, it's just a, it's just a bit of a bummer. Um, to see how Will kind of gets the short shrift in, in this series. You know, he was such a big part of like the whole season. Was, first season was like about him and finding Will and where's Will and what happened to Will. And they get Will back and it's like, oh, 
sorry, we don't have time for you <laughs> now. So, um, and, and I get it like now in this season, you know, the guys don't seem to have all their girlfriends now, like, or at least Mike and Dustin don't, they're, um, they have long distance relationships now, you know, Dusty still is dating Susie, which we got an appearance by her. She's still super cute. Um, and Mike, you know, and Elle are still dating, but she's out in California. Max and Lucas have, have seemed to have broken up. But anyway, you know, um, you know, it, it's a little different now that maybe the boys have time for their, um, you know, hobbies and stuff because, you know, the girl thing isn't such a huge deal like it was in, in the previous um, season. So I don't know. I just felt bad for Will uh, seeing it all again in seasons one through three in Rapid Fire and then seeing this one start out. It was just like, oh, you know, and and seeing how Will, you know, is still such a good boy. He's so sweet to Elle, acting like a big brother to her, you know, in their new school. They've only got each other, you know, so just, I don't know, my, my, my poor boy Will there, you know, I feel really bad for him, so. Yeah, it is kind of like he's like 30 years too early for like where, he, like everything that's happened, because yeah, you know, like, uh, you know, long distance relationships and stuff, like, they're easier to do with, like, the technology we do have. And mm-hmm. there are lots of gaming groups that are, like, completely virtual, too, even before COVID and everything. Like, there's people who would play online just because, yeah. you know, getting a group of friends together for 12 hours a day or, you know, multiple hours a day to play games is very, very difficult, especially as you get older. So, you know, like, if this was, like, today's time, like, 2022, when he moved to California... It'd be like, oh, we'll just throw a computer up because we do that in my gaming group. It's like, oh, yeah, we I have a friend that just moved to Florida for school mm-hmm. and we just throw a computer up, got his face on there. We've got an audio coming out. We can talk to him and he can play. And it's still like he's part of the group. It is. That's awesome. It is a little bit like like, if, you know, it's being in the rooms a lot better than obviously being online. Um, but at least that option's there with like, you know, with Will, unfortunately, like, what's he going to do? Is he going to call in like? There's long distance like charges back in these days too, so he can't even do that. Exactly, yeah, long, yeah, old fashioned um, landlines with um, charges for long distance calling. <laughs> yeah, you tell kids that it's like, wait, you, you had to get pay extra for for calls across the country. Yeah, and guess what? We used to have to pay ten cents per text. Oh my gosh! Yeah. At, at least until what nine p.m. and then it was <laughs> and weekends yeah, nine yeah, p.m. Yeah. and weekends it was free. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I always thought it was eight, and that first phone bill after I turned sixteen uh, proved otherwise. Whoops! Forgot about yeah. the time, mom and dad. Whoopsie. Yeah. Um, but that that leads kind of into mine too. Awesome. Like my number four is uh, um, like growing up is just hard to do, mm-hmm. and. You know, these, this group of kids have been through like so much, like you just went through the recap. It's three seasons of just craziness that they've had to deal with. And now they've kind of like, okay, this is all past us. Now they're kind of in high school, which high school for anybody is really difficult, especially if you've got, you've got like friends who are like, well, we're fine being in like this D and D group. And you've got Dustin or not Dustin, uh, um, Lucas, is it Lucas, right? Yeah. The basketball player He's like, I want to, you know, I want to be part of the popular crowd. Right. So he's going into basketball and like he makes a game winning shot the night of a championship game where the final of their D&D group's happening and he had to miss out on that. And that is very much just a growing up situation because, you know, when you have friends that you've had since grade school, like things change, you know, they get jobs or they find other hobbies or there's things that just kind of, kind of you left behind. 
And we're definitely seeing a lot of that here. And, you know, it's even more difficult for somebody like Elle, who definitely didn't have a traditional childhood. Mm-hmm. And now she's at a completely different school. She doesn't get a lot of the social cues that are going on because there was a spot where the girl uh, said like L diarrhea making a joke and everybody laughs. Yeah. And, you know, Millie Bobby Brown, like I think her acting is just, you know, way above where somebody probably her age typically is because you believed as L when that happened that she's like, Oh, like people are laughing with me. And that is very much like a, like for me too, like between like seventh and like ninth grades, my freshman year, that's when I started realizing people were laughing at me, not with me. Yeah. And I feel like we're getting to that point where L's starting to get that, like, Oh, these guys aren't laughing with me. They're making fun of me. They're laughing at my expense. And like, that was, that was tough to see for her. I mean, especially, you know, like, you know, it's like this whole hero presentation. She's talking about Hopper and there's like this whole thing about where like, nobody's going to understand. Like, yeah, Helen Keller was, you know, a very historical person who did a lot of cool things considering her circumstances and very much somebody you should like, you know, look to for like, you know, getting past adversities. Yeah. And Elle is like, well, I have that same person who was real and literally saved the world like twice. Mm -hmm. And everybody's like, yeah, sure. uh Uh-huh. What do you do? Like he was a cop in a small town. He probably just ate a lot of donuts and you just, you can't really tell like what actually happened. Exactly. Um, and then like you're talking about Will too. So when, when she gets her, uh, diorama knocked out and stepped on, like Will comes in and I don't, like, it seemed like that emotionally hurt him just as much as it hurt her. Yeah. Like I got like, he was about to just burst into tears in that moment. And, you know, I don't know if that was a choice or if there's more to it. Cause I'm starting to get some sense that there's going to be, they're dropping some hints that like, Will, I think has, He's outside the social norm for the 80s, I'll say. I don't know what that means, what it'll be, but it seems like he's just, he's going to have his own kind of personal stuff that is going to be very challenging for him to, to kind of get through during this time period. Um, Non-upside-down-esque type stuff, just growth and maturity type thing. And I think he could probably relate to Ellen in that moment a little bit, just with you know secrets and things that you can't really like share because of the time frame or who you're around. Um, so I'm really kind of curious to see what happens with that as well. But um, uh, we all have to go back through it growing up. And, you know, a lot of times people say like, you know, high school are the best years of your life, but it would take a lot for me to ever <laughs> go back through those. I think if I was able to, to go back with the knowledge that I have now, I, I would be fine. But I, I don't know that I'd want to repeat like that transition from middle school to high school. That's that's yeah. a pretty rough time for a lot of kids. And that's kind of where they're at because they're all in their freshman year of high school, which is pretty rough. Um, and I kind of wonder about Will. Um, I think we might have kind of t- maybe talked, hinted at it when we were covering um, previous seasons. But I wonder if Will is gay. That's kind of the, the, I remember, I don't remember what it was specifically that happened that made us think that in season three. Um, I think they were trying to hook him up with one of some girl from class, maybe. Well, and 
I remember there was a scene, I don't remember the exact episode, but it was between Mike and Will, and they were at Mike's house. And I think uh, it was a little bit of a disagreement with them, too, because Will was getting really frustrated at, at Lucas and Mike over all the girl stuff, and he just wanted to um, play D&D. And I think that's when he dressed up in his Will the Wise costume, um, and he got really upset that they were like, you know, we don't we don't want to play right now. And they weren't taking it seriously because I think they tr- they started to kind of play and and they were just kind of joking around with him and not taking it seriously and just kind of goofing. And it made him really angry. He stormed away and um, they were kind of arguing and as Will's getting ready to leave and get back on his bike and, and go back home. Mike flippantly was like, well, just because you don't like girls and he kind of just paused and Will just kind of looked at him like, um, and it seemed to be like this, you know, secret, open secret or, or unspoken known thing or something. Um, and then in this episode, in the pre- premiere episode, you know, Elle is talking in her letter that she she's writing to Mike. She's like, oh, I think he's got a crush on somebody. It might be for a girl, but I don't know. And then there's a girl that starts, you know, um, playing like footsie with him. She reaches her leg across the um, um, to to Will's desk there and starts rubbing her foot on his leg in a real flirty manner. And he kind of looks at her like he's super like, what the, what are you doing? And he moves his leg away. Like he, and I, and I mean, if he is, it's totally fine. But I think it's, you know, it's 1986. It is not a very warm, welcome environment you know, for um, gay people, you know, even um, Robin makes a comment about it, you know, when she and and that's one of my points that I want to talk about. So I won't go too far into it. But when she was talking to Steve, you know, because she has a crush on a girl and, you know, she's, you know, super nervous. And he's like, you should just talk to her, be yourself around her. And she's like, well, if I'm if I'm myself around the wrong kind of girl, I'll be, uh, you know, the town pariah because it is not you know, it just was not as accepted, you know, and it was more secretive and, you know, you couldn't just be out um, like you, like you, you can be today where it's more accepting. So, um, so I wonder if, and if he's not, I mean, I could be totally wrong. I'm not sure where they're going with that, but they keep kind of making these little hints. So I just wonder Mm -hmm. if on top of everything else that Will is going through and has gone through along with just getting older and having all these crazy hormones and these feelings that you probably don't understand. And then if he just happens to be, you know, gay on top of all of that, that's a lot to deal with, (laughs) you know, at, at, at that age, trying to figure that stuff out. So. For sure. Yeah, it's kind of, I mean, that's, I, I saw the foot thing. It's kind of just, I got to, and I kind of wonder, because they really kind of kept the painting he was doing too for his hero secretive. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wonder if that's going to be a hint as well, if it's going to be someone that was kind of like a, you know, an advocate for like gay rights and stuff during that time period. Um, um, that, that would definitely kind of like solidify that as like, probably but it could also be somewhat of a red herring um well it's interesting that you bring that up and i thought i had it in my notes and i think i forgot it but i did look that up his uh i can't think of his name i'll figure it out and and um maybe talk about it in the next episode or something but the person that he was doing his presentation on was um a a famous mathematician from like the world war ii era era he was a code breaker 
uh, and a scientist, and I cannot think of his name. Um, but he was. Gay. Is it the? Oh, if it's the one that um, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch played, uh, there's a movie about that. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, I must have missed that. Yeah, it's pretty horrific because he he was like basically was the reason that they broke the the code from the Nazis and figured out a lot of the stuff were going on and turned the tide in the war. And this is all from the movie. Um, so he's essentially that dude's like a hero. Cause he basically kind of created like the first, what you could think of as a modern computer to help break the codes mm-hmm. that were going on. And then later in life, when they, they discovered that he was gay and everything, they had chemically, uh, essentially chemically castrated him. Yes. Because That's they the found one. out about all that. Yes. Okay. So under Victorian law, homosexuality was, um, a, a, a sin against the law. Um, essentially, I shouldn't say a, a, a sin necessarily because that's more religious, but just under Victorian law, it was like against the law to be a homo. It's just saying that out loud, just it's freaking insane. Um, but at the time, um, yes, it has, to, and I, I can't believe I didn't get the name down, but yes, it's the same. It sounds like the same person because um, that's what I was reading is that this scientist was chemically castrated. Um, and, um, he ended up dying later of cyanide poisoning and, um, I believe he was English. I believe they, um, the, the country later apologized and, you know, but whatever, but that's, that's who he was doing his presentation on, which again, just, you know, they're, they're just dropping little things. So it kind of just, you know, is this just kind of adding to everything that Will has going on? But yeah, you make a lot of good points. It's, it's rough because, um, they're, and it just, I look back and I can't help but just feel I feel like anybody who's, you know, grown through that period of time themselves and it's not doesn't even necessarily have to be in the 80s. Anyone who's, you know, went through elementary school, middle school, high school, I feel like haven't we all had similar experiences maybe that, you know, I know for me, uh, I can relate a lot to what they're kind of experiencing, you know, I had some really great friends in elementary school, folks that I was very close to had a best friend, you get to middle school, things change just a little bit, folks are kind of growing up, they're, they're kind of getting these different interests. And they start breaking off into these other groups, you kind of grow apart a little bit. Um, You get to high school, things are changing even more, the people that you were best friends with, you know, just a few years ago, or like different people to you now, you barely talk to them, you're off with this other group now, things are just so much different. It made me really kind of just sad thinking, oh my God, look at all the friends that I had and and how you just didn't talk to them anymore and you grew apart. I I like how they were able to kind of really capture that, you know, because it's very real and relatable. And I think it's tough to do in those shows, too, because a lot of times I think it's done more kind of just verbally instead of showing. It's like, oh, don't you remember when Will used to hang out with us? And it's like, oh, yeah, sad. But like this, you really kind of got like the awkwardness of it and kind of the even the secondhand awkwardness of it, too. Um, so it, it's like everybody goes through it. Like, you know, I remember like I went to a super small school, like there was like 30 kids that graduated my class. Mm-hmm. Me too. And there was a kid that. Like there's a kid that I went to the school with from like preschool all the way through high school. And it was almost like, you know, cause we didn't run around the same circles. We didn't really have classes together or lockers were, you know, a couple rows apart. Like I actually kind of forgot he went to the school until like my senior year. Like we happened to walk by each other and I was like, Oh shit. Like we used to like hang out all the time. Like what the heck happened yeah. And at that point? Like it's like, you know, graduations around the corner, all this other stuff going on. It's like, Oh, well, 
that's interesting. And you just kind of move on with your life. And that's, I mean, it's kind of what you're seeing here, like just people finding different things and falling into different groups. And it's not good or bad. It's just kind of, it's, it's just really kind of encompass what, what happens in life. Yeah, exactly. <gasps> that's a really good point. Um, well, mine, is it my turn? I totally forget. Is it me? Yep. Oh um, yeah, it's your, it's your number four. I just kind of get to talking here. Um, my next point, I wanted to talk, a, it, it's short and sweet, but uh, I, I like this duo. We kind of get um, some good duos uh, here in um, in this episode. And uh, one of them that I want to talk about is Joyce and Murray. Ah, so, uh, yes. <laughs> I love I love that they have like stayed in contact, um, even though Joyce is out in California and I'm guessing Murray's still in Indiana. I guess he's still in Hawkins. I don't know. I was trying to, I was trying to glean, uh, when he was uh, talking to Joyce on the phone and I was trying to like, is that still that same house or hideaway that he was in, uh, from, from last season? And it was kind of hard to tell, um, just from the. Um, small scene um, where it showed him like in the bathtub, which had to see way more, I think, than what I wanted to of Murray. <laughs> you could have uh, seen a lot more. <laughs> so they, they definitely a lot more had it not been what was it a vodka bottle or something that was just strategically <laughs> placed? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever that was. Thank you. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I tease. Uh, but I love that they stayed in touch because I really enjoyed their banter um, and this friendship that they seemed to form very quickly under um, the the circumstances of season three, right? When you know, um, you know, all the Russians and gotta save the world, and you know, gotta foil their plan, and and all of all of this that they went through. So I love that they've stayed in touch. I think Murray was really lovable when um, he's instructed Joyce to take this doll. So so Joyce has gotten this doll. She's working from hey, it's a the, an early work from home type job <laughs> i have that written down yeah, <laughs> yeah. wait go choice and i don't think there was a whole lot of that going on in the 80s so good for Joyce scoring a work from home job doesn't sound super awesome selling encyclopedias just... encyclopedias what it sounded oh, like yeah gosh um that's got to be rough but um so can i get you a through c or the entire <laughs> alphabet yeah. uh her line in that too this was just a note but uh let me see if i can find it because it's pretty funny she's like just think about it. You can have all the information at your fingertips. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, we've got that now, don't we? And it's probably not a good thing. You know, I miss encyclopedias. I, I, I know I've mentioned it before. My grandmother had a full set of encyclopedias. And whenever I was young, you know, there was no Internet you know, mm-hmm. there was no Google. You couldn't just grab your laptop, grab your phone, and start looking stuff up. I can appreciate, you know, uh, you know, Joyce supplying the world with encyclopedias. It it brought me um, a lot of joy, and I learned a lot. But anyway, um, so she 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 gets this package, and it looks like it's you know it's very suspicious. It's got some like Russian stamps on it, I guess. Is is what they are the work stamps, um, and she's super funny describing that to to Murray. She's like, "Oh, she's got this like hammer and like this <laughs> circle thing," and he's like, "A sickle, a sickle." <laughs> <laughs> so I love their banter. I love their relationship. And he see, you know, when he's instructing, he's like, "You need, you, you need to go open it up. It could have a, a an explosive. There could be wires or a bug or something in there." Um, so he's you know, t- well, I like it, like. I like at first how they kind of like their Frank's like, 
can you take the dress off of it? She's like, yeah. And like, she listens like, oh, it's like, what? It has nipples. Right as he's getting in the water, he's like, oh. Like, they, like uh, they, Murray, what are you doing over there, bud? They timed it very well. Um, they do a very good job with the, with the back and forth and the editing on this show, for sure. Um, so... He's like, you gotta, you gotta go smash this thing, right? And and when she she smashes it, and he he's like screaming on the other line, thinking <laughs> that she had gotten injured. Uh, so I I liked their banter. I like that they have stayed in touch um, despite you know the, the distance between them. Considering again the the uh, I guess lack of communication. Uh, versus what we have today, like you were saying earlier, you know, you could pick up the phone and you can call, but you probably weren't doing it very often, being cognizant of long distance charges. There was no Zoom, there was no internet, there was no FaceTime, no texting. Um, so I like that they've made an effort to stay in touch. They seem like they're still, you know, um, like they stay in contact with each other, um, even though they don't um, live close by anymore. Or I'm sorry, I think he was in Illinois. Now that I'm coming back from it, he wasn't. Oh, in yeah. Hawkins. Yeah, you're right. I just yeah. remembered I was kind of had a just a scene flashing back in my head that uh, he was in in <laughs> Illinois somewhere. I don't remember where they said or if they said, but that's what it was. So anyway, but he's still he's still there. She's over here. Um, so I, I love that. And I'm like, who the hell is sending this doll? Um. You know, because we, we, we get some information there saying Hopper's alive. Yeah. So, well, who in Russia would be know to send that to her, too? Yeah. Because um, I don't remember any of the Russians really being, like, super connected. Did the – who was the, the guy that was the Russian that they kidnapped? Is he still alive? I don't remember. Oh, no, Alexei. Alexei was shot in season three, and he That's died. That's right. Yeah, R.I.P., our boy. I forgot. Because he kind of came around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was but sad. Maybe there's some tie there. Yeah. But, but yeah, I just don't know who would have a connection to, to know to send that to her and why. Unless Hopper's kind of got, because I mean, it's been a year, maybe two. So maybe Hopper's gotten in with somebody and is that he can trust is having her send that information. Yeah. He's maybe gotten to know someone in, um, who's got contacts or is able to get a message out uh, that's on his yep, side. He started, he started the movement there too. They're like, man, it's morning. We got to do work. He's like, no morning is for coffee and contemplation. <laughs> yeah, I thought of you whenever I was rewatching it in season <laughs> one, the first episode when he says that, I was like, I was looking at Sean's favorite lines <laughs> brought me back. So yeah, the really, really good news that Hopper was alive and, but like, you know, it's still a mystery here. I did like to, cause I was trying to figure out why she just didn't like break open the doll. And so I'm glad that Murray kind of like talked about like, Oh, well you gotta do it this way. Cause there could be an explosive in there. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like now this makes sense. Why you would take it outside and go through this whole elaborate like thing. Cause you know, Murray is the stranger things conspiracy theory. So he yes. thinks everything's out to get you. Um, so yeah, I thought that was a great scene and great playing back and forth. And, yeah, you just think about like in this time frame too, like like with us, like, you know, it's easy for me to shoot you a text whenever I'm like, oh, this thing happened. Let me shoot Rima a text because she'll think it's funny or, mm -hmm. you know, just to touch base. But if this was in the 80s, it'd be like, oh, I really need to write Rima a letter and mail it to her. Oh, I got to go find paper and a pen and write it out and get a stamp. And then I got 
check my address book, make sure that I have the right address. Is it the right address? I think you've moved since the last time we talked. So who knows where it's going to go? So yeah, it's again, like technology's made like a stamp. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Got to get to the post office and and buy a book of stamps. (laughs) And do I just need one stamp or two stamps? I never know. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. For me, anyway, that we're not back to that. I'm I'm not great about letter writing or you know handwriting anything and getting stuff out. Like if I have to do anything like that today, where it you know you're required to to mail something back. Oh my god, it's like yeah, and I'm it's... A, I'm a block from the post office, and it is like painful for me to have to get out and like mail something out or go get a stamp. It is terrible. Or mailing out a package even. Um, oh. Just uh, and I, like if I do eBay and email or mail a package, like I way overpay because I take it in and they're like, we'll do it for you. I'm like, yes, sweet. Please. How much is it going to cost? And like, it'll be three times as much if you just package it yourself. I'm like, whatever, just, just send it out. I can't be bothered. Cannot be bothered. <laughs> I know it's terrible. I'm, I'm a sad, sad person, but that's just me. Um, well, that was that was my point. There was just you know the the camaraderie there between Joyce and Murray. Glad they're still in touch. I think they make a a fun duo, and I'm glad that they continued it on because I really enjoyed it in season three. Glad to see him again in season four. Um, moving on. So, what is your next point? Uh, so, my number three. I uh, I am an avid tabletop player. I've got a group that I go to once a month. So. When I got to learn that they have a club called the Hellfire Club where they meet and play D&D, uh, I'm guessing it's weekly probably. I love it. And I think it's great that they kind of touched a little bit on the D&D scare of the 80s where, oh, yeah. um, you know, we, we had a Tom Hanks movie about that where, like, you know, these kids play this tabletop game and they start worshiping Satan and they go into sewers. And they beat the crap out of people. Um, like it was a real thing. Like it was a big ordeal. Yes, it was. Um, it's funny because my buddy Rich, I think he got all of his first D and D books from a pastor who confiscated them from people. No shit. So, and I don't, I don't necessarily know if he confiscated them or if it was based like parents brought them in to be like, you have to like cleanse these books. And the pastor's Get like, the holy water. They're just. <laughs> Yeah, and he's just like, they're books. And then here's Richard walking by and was like, well, that dude's not going to heaven. So here, you take them. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I love that they kind of played on that. Um, you know, like, it's it's very much like, you know, an accepted thing now too, right? Like, mm-hmm. it used to be like when I was in college in like early 2000s, it was kind of embarrassing to be like, hey, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with friends and and play some games. They're like, oh, like poker or di- like roll dice. And I was like, yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of D20. <laughs> yeah, it's a little nerdier. Uh, have you ever heard of Dungeons and Dragons? And you get like a side eye like, yeah, do you wear costumes for that? Like sometimes I've never wore a costume, but if I could, I would. You should. Um, That's but, the fun part. Uh but like uh, my buddy, he's Richard. He's he's LARPed. Like that seems like a fun thing. Like there's kingdoms. Like there's literally kingdoms you can go to and fight and be king of your kingdom. I'm down with for LARPing. That. Hell yeah! I know, right? You know, and all you're doing, you're going around, you're hitting people with like you know, like foam swords or something. Spit. Yeah, yeah, foam swords, mm-hmm. and it's it's relatively safe. Um, but yeah, but like now, like you, it's very much accepted. Like you know, I 
know, I wear that nerd badge on my shoulder. Hell yeah. And in here, like they've got a club. Eddie is the guy who runs it. And Eddie is like, like if you're looking at this game, like this epic final battle, like this is exactly what D&D looks like to or any kind of tabletop. Like you've got Eddie, who's the DM. Mm -hmm. He's playing it up. You know, he's making sure that, you know, everybody's like in it. Um, You know, it's the very last battle. And it's like, all right, what do we do? It's like, well, we said fight to the death. And every time you do that, you have people in your group who are like, well, that was before we were actually going to die. Like, I don't want to re-roll a character. <laughs> but Erica and Dustin are both like, nope, we're going for it. And Dustin rolls his dice. You see it roll, advice watching, miss. But you got Erica, she rolls that crit 20 and everybody jumps up in celebration. And even the DM jumps up in celebration because Eddie, like, I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. The DM is not there for the DM. The DM is there for the players. And if the players are having fun, the DM will have fun. And DM is Dungeon Master, in case nobody knows. Mm -hmm. And Eddie, in this moment, like, he didn't want to kill all the players. Like, he didn't want to kill all their characters. And in that moment when his guy, his bad guy that he brought back is beat by Erica, this newcomer who he was excited to bring in. Yeah. Like, he had just as much fun as everybody else. So, like, it just, that really... There's a like you'll have some people that like DM and it's like they think of it as like you versus the players, but it's really just like a group effort to like have these fun storylines and make up these fun storylines. But yeah, I'm glad to see this. I'm glad to see they've kind of found this crew. Um, I really like Eddie in terms of the character. Like he's like a 30 year senior in high school, um, (laughs) (laughs) which I feel like is a very 80s thing, too. Like, I don't think you like I think now they basically just get you out. It's like they'll do whatever they have to say to get you out of high school. Like in the 80s, it was like, well, no, you failed home ec for the third time. So you got to come back for a third year. I remember, um, I don't know if, if, if I remember any third year seniors, but I do remember like two year seniors. It was a thing back in the day, um, for sure. And yeah, I don't think they do it as much anymore. They, they definitely try to like, we don't want to deal with you. Uh, and we don't want to see your face next year. <laughs> We're just going to yeah. get you out. We're going to do what we can to help you. You're going to go. <laughs> you're going to put a mark somewhere on us that's really bad and we're going to lose money somehow. So yeah, just get out of here. Yeah. We'll say you pass. Yeah. Teachers but do I like his, I like this character. Like he seemed kind of caring. Um, him and the uh, interactions with Chrissy, I guess I'm kind of jumping into more on him, but like his interactions with Chrissy um, before the whole like, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street stuck to the ceiling scene yeah. was kind of cute. Like, you know, they had known each other early on and I was a little worried. So like, you know, I never like hope for deaths of characters, but I'm kind of glad Chrissy's dead, I guess, because <laughs> the one thing that <laughs> the one thing that Stranger Things has kind of done is a lot of like the opposite couples. And I very much kind of got like, all right, here's another couple that is very much the opposite of each other. You know, it's like wrong side of the tracks and like they've done that a lot. And sometimes I feel like that can be a rinse and repeat type situation. So um I hope Eddie sticks around for a while. Like, I hope this isn't like his last season. Cause I do, I do feel like he's our new Billy. Like Billy was the guy that like, I started to fall in love with that character and the actor. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Eddie's going to kind of be the same way, but yeah, if you know of a local game shop, go in and like play some D and D or Pathfinder or Starfinder. Cause it's all fun. And yeah, just the hellfire club. I want that shirt. I want that group of friends and, Oh, that was, that was cool. I really like that they kind of keep playing on that. I I love it. I I want the shirt, and I 
think I think I saw it available. I I'm really uh, hesitant to look up too many things about Stranger Things because I feel like when I do, I'm going to get spoiled or something. But I I could swear that I saw something about the show or sorry, the shirt from the show being available somewhere. Somebody's got to have it. You could probably get it off Redbubble or something. Um, but I, I definitely want one too. And I know I've talked so often every year when we cover Stranger Stranger Things, um, when you and I talk, I always say I wish someone would adopt me into their uh, group to play D&D. I've never gotten to play. I've, oh, I, I always wanted to when I was younger, but growing up in a small town, I don't know if there was a group I was not invited. I didn't know if, if there were any. No one certainly was like, hey, you should join or anything like that. So I have no clue. Never, Still never played, even after all this time of talking about it, but I, I, I so want to. Um, I have no idea. Well, I would suck group. at it, but <laughs> I would love to oh, play. Oh, you can't. <laughs> You can't suck at it. You just have to like find your character and like play. That's it's a blast. Like basically, you need a road trip back home with me, and I'll let you. I'll bring you into our group and we'll play. Awesome. And it's, well, I'll be I'm the honorary like Erica. Soon. You can just bring me in as a sub or something. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah, I don't think anybody's gonna be like. So, uh, what kind of character are you gonna play? And you drop all that mad like <laughs> I'm a 14th level wizard and yeah. But yeah, our our group's very much more laid back. Of course, yeah. that one was too. That that was your ideal group. Like I think so. Also, like so, like when Erica showed up, like I think they were kind of like you know just when you're in that group, there's a lot of I don't know if this is the right term to use. There's probably a better term. But like there's a lot of like busting of balls in that kind of group. Sure. Like you're just kind of like making fun of each other and like you know it's all like and it's not like aggressive. You know, like it's all locker room, fun, talk. like friends. Yeah, yeah. friends. Like, bullshit you each know, other. if your if your character says, "Oh, I'm going to do this cool thing," and you're all one, everybody's going to make fun of you for the rest of the night. And then when somebody else does that, you're going to make fun of them too. It's of all course. good natured. And I feel like that was a little bit of the initiation with Erica. Like that, she kind of showed up, and it's like, "All right, well, like, are you really going to play? Like, here it is." And like, she's like, "This is what I'm going to do. This is who I am." And they're like, "Oh, yeah, you're going to fit in perfectly with this group." Get in here. Let's roll some dice and have some fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, one day. But um. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, that was my number three, just the Hellfire Club. Hell yeah. Shirts for everyone. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, um, again, kind of a quick point, but I want to talk a little bit about the flashback that we got in the beginning of the episode I mentioned when we were talking about um, when you were talking about like the theme and how it's getting darker and scarier. And, you know, I, I mentioned like how this episode was bookended by these really scary kind of scenes. And in this flashback, we got Dr. Brenner who, who we get to see, we could see him at home in his home life. And um, so that was kind of interesting, but that was what back in, was it 79? I think they said it was. So this flashback was in 79 Hawkins, Indiana back at the lab and he's doing some testing. We see all these kids, like there's a whole lot of little kids um, there that we hadn't seen before. 
I mean, I think we always kind of knew or they had hinted at in other seasons that there were other kids similar to Elle. I mean, we know in season um, three it was. Or was it two? You're right. I, can't, it was I two. thought it was two. It was back two. I, I binged it, so everything kind of starts running together for me, and my memory totally sucks. It was season two. Yes, you're right. Where she went and found her sister. We found out that there was another little little girl uh, with Elle um, that had escaped, and um, she has powers too. So they definitely have been hinting and alluding to other children um, there at the lab that were like Elle. And here we get to see it was a it was a hard kind of opener. Um, because there, there was, you know, violence against children and that's, you know, never an easy, easy thing to watch. And of course with like current events, um, was even, you know, kind of more, um, hard to watch than usual. But, um, but it was scary, you know, as Dr. Brenner is testing with this little boy in, in the lab and it was kind of, a and different side to Dr. Brenner um, than what we saw in season one. He seemed more abrasive and cruel with Elle, um, threw her in that room, in like an isolation room a lot. Um, but he seemed a little almost warmer um, in, in this scene um, with this with this boy. And... But then something terrible is happening. Like he's asking that boy, like, well, you know, let's try to do something a little bit more challenging. Can you find Dr. Ellis, um, whom they passed in the hall before they went and did their testing? And um, as he's, you know, doing this like mind search, something terrible happens and it, it just immediately got really scary. Um, and then Dr. Like the door bust, like gets busted open and Dr. Brenner gets knocked out. Something terrible has happened to that little boy. Um, and he gets up and he starts going through the halls and there are people, um, and, and you know, that are dead and there's blood everywhere. Um, and it's a terrible scene, hard to watch. Uh, and then he comes across Elle and she's, and it's a very much younger L because this was 79. And I think when we yep. trying to think of her age, I'd have to go back and look. She was like, what, 10 or 11? I think she was supposed to be in 84 when the show started. So it was maybe five years prior. Um, so she would have been, what, like five or six, maybe? Somewhere in there, yeah. So supposed to be a much younger L and she's bleeding from her nose, which we've seen before. We knew um, in past seasons that when L would use her powers, her nose would always bleed. But this time she's bleeding from her eyes and then she's got blood on her, um, her gown that she's wearing. And Dr. Brenner immediately suspects L is responsible for all of this and is like, L, what the hell, what have you done? What have you done? And then it cuts cuts off. And I'm I, I I cannot believe that after four seasons that they would make Elle evil, that she would have been responsible for that terrible carnage that we saw against the people that worked there at the lab and 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 the children. I think there's something else to it and that whatever it is that happened, that she survived it. Um and I think that because Dr. Brenner thinks she is responsible, it gave him a reason to um, 
abuse her and keep her locked up like he did. More out of being scared and protective than just being an evil bastard like they kind of alluded to for three seasons. I mean, I don't think it gives him passage to do what he did to Elle um, at all, regardless of what she may or may not have done. Um, but I think that it makes him not just a one-sided character. I think it makes him more three-dimensional. Um, cause like I said, we got to see a little bit of a different side with him with that, with that little boy, um, there in the beginning, uh, before all of this happened. Um, but then to see how he treats Elle, I mean, I, I mean, we hated him, you know, in, in season one, and this doesn't really make, make me like him anymore, but it makes me see him a little differently and like he's a little bit more complicated than just this piece yeah. of shit scientist who abused Elle and kept her locked up. I mean, if he really thought that she did that and he, he's thinking she's really like this dangerous telekinetic little girl that she, if she can do this, you know, what, what else could she possibly be capable of? And I mean, and I know that we have seen L kill, um, but she did it mostly either in defense of herself or in defense of her friends. Um, yeah. Cause there was them. the, the two or three boys in the first season that she choked, I think um, she made the one kid wet his pants. And in this one that the, the bully girl, um, I can't remember what her Angela. name was Angela, mm-hmm. um, which is very too close to angelic for how she was acting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but you know, in, in that she was, she was going to do some damage if she had her powers. I, I know. And I, I, that doesn't shed a good light on Elle because it's like she's in public. She's surrounded like yeah. by so many people there at the school. And she would just – now, of course, she didn't have her powers and they didn't work. But like what was she going to do to Angela if if her powers did work? So it does give you a little pause. like, And, and I think maybe that's what they're alluding to a little bit is it, it's trying to make us believe that Elle was responsible um, for what happened there in the lab in 79. I just don't feel though that that's, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm feeling like they're throwing us a little bit of a red herring. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it didn't, was not a good look for her, whatever it was that she had intended. If she'd had her powers, what was she going to do to Angela? Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to see kind of how all that plays out. Cause yeah, now she's just a normal kid having to deal with a bully like mm-hmm. you know there there is the whole kind of you know fuck around and find out and you know if a bully kind of pushes you too hard sometimes you know you, you push back a little bit and they're like oh okay i'm done sorry you know it's it could just kind of kid stuff back so yeah i don't know i guess i could be totally wrong as far as you know is l you know the one we should be worried about um but I don't know. I, I might have more to say about why I think it's not like she's not the one responsible for it in one of my other points that I'll get to. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll come back to that um, and, and why I have that theory. So what is your next point? So my number two, uh, it's it's kind of interesting to see like all these kids that have had you know, the, uh, this, like, like I said, three seasons of just craziness mm-hmm. and they all seem to be kind of functionally are functioning normally. Right. Like 
even L is kind of adjusting to real life. But one of them, I feel like it would is the epitome of what like I think these kids would really seem and feel like in this moment is Max. Yep. I feel like Max is the only one that's suffering from, and I think maybe we'll see it later on, but she really in this episode feels like she's still struggling with like essentially PTSD, right? Like she saw her brother, Billy, absolutely, you know, killed and possessed at this, in this last season. And, you know, she's going through, like she's starting to fail classes and she's really kind of like showing the signs of like a lot of kids at this age, like something horrific happens to them or something that's just very like, uh, something happens in their life that really just like messes with them like really bad. And they start, you know, missing out on school. They start having trouble with relationships. Um, you know, she's living in a trailer park now with her mom, their stepdad's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really kind of feel like she's the only one that seemed like she was like really PTSD, really struggling with trying to get through what was going on. And I'm really interested to see like how that plays out because you know, she was brought into this group. Um, she didn't have the best home life, I think, beforehand. Yeah. She started actually kind of like, I, I'm trying to remember, like her and Billy started to kind of at least form a relationship, right? We didn't get to see. I'm trying to remember. I mean, in season two, it was still pretty rough. He was, um, you know, quite an asshole to Max and threatened her often um, and was very like aggressive towards her. We didn't see him actually like physically abuse her, but there was definitely um, like some um, emotional or psychological because he threatened her a lot. Um, And in season three, like straight away, like in the first episode, he was taken by that mind flare. And by the second episode, he was possessed. Um, and, mm-hmm. and it was slowly starting to take him over. He was kind of going like back and forth, back and forth until it finally really overtook him. And until the very end, when um, he 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 was able to like free himself with the help of Eleven um, and kind of become himself right before he died um, there at the end. So season three, they didn't really get a whole lot because he was off getting more people, uh, you know, for the mind flare. Um, um, and in season two, he just treated her like shit, but they had a moment there in season three, um, when, when he, cause he, he had L on the floor, they were there in the mall and the mind flayer was going to try and possess and, and do the same that he had done to everyone else to L. Um, but then L was able to get through to him by sharing that memory, um, that she had seen of, uh, when he was a little boy and his mother and that got through to him kind of like, then Billy like came out. It was like him and not just the mind flare. Um, and so then he fought the mind, mind flare to try to get L like let her get away. And then he, it ended up killing him. And Max had went running to him and he said, I'm sorry. And then he died. Um, it brings it all back. I watched it uh, last night before I started season four and I just bawled like a baby. I mean, who thought I was going to cry over hairband Billy um, from season two? Uh, was such an asshole, <laughs> but I did. It was sh- sad. But like this show's done a great job with like character development because you kind of saw his past too. Like he was, yeah. like he was abused by his dad real bad, like emotionally mm-hmm. and, and drove his mom away. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and physically. His mom left him, so he probably has some serious abandonment issues because his mom left um, and left him with his abusive father. His father probably took it out on him uh, when uh, when she left and blamed him, and it sounds like it was a very terrible relationship between him and his father. We saw it in season two. His father hit him, and... That was hard to watch. So you kind of, and then in season three, when we got that memory that Elle was able to see when she was searching for Billy and tried to get into his mind, find where he was, what's he up to, all of that stuff, and she got that glimpse. Um, it was it was hard hard to see. She kind of sympathized a little bit with Billy. It didn't give him the okay to act the way that he did towards other people, towards uh, Max, but you could see where it stemmed from. You know, people people who are or have been abused um, abuse others. People who are hurt hurt others, um, and it just continues that cycle. So, but I mean, I felt really bad because it it wasn't everything that happened there in season three wasn't Billy's fault. He was possessed. Um, so yeah, it was really kind of sad. So yeah, that's what Max had to see. That Max was there, you know, for that. And even though they had a very tumultuous relationship. You know, I I think it still obviously traumatized her. Yeah, and you can definitely see it. It's you know, she's definitely by herself too. I think it's kind of the scary thing for for me to for her character in the season because she's disassociated with the friends altogether. Um, when Dusty was trying to recruit her, there was a kind of a cute moment there where she was kind of being sarcastic with them, which is very much kind of like <laughs> you know the Max that we know of old. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'm, I'm kind of curious to see where that character goes this season too. Like it's, I'm a little nervous about that because everything that's happening in terms of our big bad for the seasons right across the street. So is she just going to be in that proximity and all the other stuff? Is she going to kind of get stuck into that somehow, which, um, interesting. But yeah, I feel like that's my number two. It's just that, you know, she seems like the only one that's really kind of stressed and, you know, suffering from the after effects of all the previous seasons. Yeah, Max is one of my points too. So I'll just add add to that. Uh, I I'm glad that they're taking their time with Max in in this episode. Like you said, she she's not all just back to normal. Like six months later, after everything that they've been through, oh, we're just living life and you know our best life in high school or whatever. You know, you got Lucas who's on the basketball team and he has goals and he's you know wanting to be in the popular crowd. He's working his way towards that. You've got um, Mike and um, Dustin who are part of a new D&D club and, you know, they're proud to be nerds the same as what they were before. But Max is still, she is stuck. And I'm glad that they're taking their time and that she's not just back to normal with what happened after Billy and that they are talking about her emotional and her mental state. They're talking about her grief and talking about her trying to process what happened you know when she's talking with the counselor and you know she's trying to get her to open up and talk you know she's like i can't help you if you don't tell me the truth um and and she's lying through all that too talks like you know are you having the headaches is your mom still drinking um you know and that's that's kind of like it's almost like a kid that's had to mature too quickly Mm -hmm. because i feel like she probably I'm projecting obviously, but yeah, I feel like she probably thinks that like, listen, even if I say, no, I'm still having headaches, mom's still drinking. Like I feel like my life's in shambles. 
at that age and with everything she's been through, it's probably like, well, what's it going to help if I do that? I'm just got to come in here and talk more about it and nothing's going to change. And so I'm just going to say what I have to say to get through it. And that's really sad because she probably does need some kind of, you know, if this was not a, you know, supernatural show, like this is somebody who really needs some kind of help Mm -hmm. and somebody to talk to, but because everything she's been through, she just, why should she, she, she's not going to get anything out of it. And it's probably going to make her more vulnerable because of everything she's been through. Um, So, yeah, I think it's like, I agree with your point. I think it's great that they're taking time with this character. I think it will be able to explore a lot of real life things. Um, You know, because I think with a show like this, like, yeah, it's, you know, it's a show, it's supernatural. It's kind of this whole thing, but a lot of times you can kind of make, you know, connections to real world things to kind of help make people think about like, Oh, like, yeah, like I'm not being attacked by a demigorgon, but I felt these ways. Like, how can I get through it? And, um, you know, I, I think they're just doing a great job with, with her as a character in general in this first episode. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, that was, Max was also my point. I might have a little bit more to say about her. Um, uh, and when, if I expand on one of my other points, but let's move on to your, is it your number one? Is that where we're at? Yeah, so be be my number one. Right. So it's just simply uh, TikTok. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so we uh, it looks like our big bad is uh, really obsessed with time. Um, there's an old clock in a tree. There is uh, a clock outside of the trailer, um, and it's kind of just kind of encompassing to that, like just the big bad with this. And you know, I really liked. I think it kind of tied like at the end. We've got you know we've got two battles going on that are safe battles. We've got a basketball game for a championship and then we've got this D and D campaign finale. And Eddie had this very kind of poignant, and I'm not sure if it'll be a foreshadowing, but when they're talking about, do we battle this thing that we thought was dead? It was uh, Vecna Vecna lives. That's who they're battling. Yeah. And, you know, very much kind of tying into like what they're battling, uh, you know, inside of the show, you know, it's some bad thing that they thought they probably killed three times. And Eddie, you know, when they're trying to figure out if they should battle, he says, there's no shame in running. And it, it may be tying it to, because uh, I'm playing a new game called Destiny, Destiny 2. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in a lot of those games, like you see something big, bad, you go up, you do your stuff, you try to, you know, stop it, right? Well, in the very first battle of this new season there's a big bad that you can't fight you have to run and i think in these like shows and in these movies and video games we're not really used to having to do that right like it's always like oh there's the big bad we get there that's what's going to happen and so i wonder if there's going to be a point where like retreat is inevitable and in these two scenes it was you know yeah, we missed the one shot, but we rebounded and we got the game winning shot. We stuck it out and fought. You know, we had two chances to fight Vecna. The first one failed. We didn't retreat. We fought and won. And, you know, foreshadowing this is a two part season. Is that going to kind of be like our, you know, Empire Strikes Back type of scenario where, no, the, the good guys don't always win? Um, and, you know, the, the tie it in, too. So I don't know if we have a, a name for our big bad yet. Uh, I think it is. You know, the, 
it seems like it, yeah. right? Like that's what you got to call well, that's it because everything's that's what tied. They're, yeah, they're they're tying it again to the game, like with in season one with the Demogorgon. That was when they were playing the D and D game right before Will disappeared, and they had to Will had to fight the Demogorgon, and he's like, um, when he rolled the dice off the table, and then later when the game when he had to go home and. He's like, I didn't, I didn't get it. Uh, the Demogorgon got me. And then, of course, he on his way home is when he is taken by the, the Demogorgon, or what they call the Demogorgon. Well, I don't know if that's his real name, but that's what we were calling it anyway. Um, so it, yeah, they it kinda, have the mind flare and stuff too. Yeah, so it kind of plays into like whenever they're talking about D and D and how D and D the, the like names kind of you know whether or not that this is this big bad's real name or not. I feel like that's what we're going to calling him. Um, yeah, because it just you know it seems to be the theme of the show. So we're, let's just go. Yeah, so you have <laughs> so you have Vecna showing up uh, with Chrissy, and you know saying like I can take your pain and suffering away. Yeah, and you know like again like you think about you know there's a lot of characters in this season that are struggling with something. You know, is that going to be how Vecna gets you know its you know webs weaved throughout this the season? And again, we don't even know what happened with Chrissy. Did he actually just kill her or is he possessing her like he did Billy? So um, the one thing, it's kind of a note, I guess, and maybe I should have kicked it off, but one of the things that I've kind of forgot about is having every episode at my fingertips when a season <laughs> drops because I've been watching a lot of like, uh, you know, Dexter and mm-hmm. Yellow Jackets and Disney Plus shows like the Marvel ones and Obi-Wan where it only drops once a week. Yeah. And so when I popped this up and I saw like, I don't know how many episodes are for this part one, six to eight episodes. I was like, wait a minute. Did I miss it? Has it already been out? Was I supposed to call Rima months ago? <laughs> um, but, but yeah. So like, like having, having to like hold back on watching the next episode is like going to be a big thing now too. It's been a while um, since you've had to do that, huh? Back in the day when yeah, we were doing week to yeah. week on these Netflix shows that were just available, but we couldn't watch them. <laughs> Till we yeah, I know, right? <laughs> yep. Still, um, still my oh, world. I, I guess I should have went through the whole. So what, what he said was, there's no shame in running. Mm-hmm. Don't try to be heroes. I know. Not today. I, I thought I heard that too. I'm glad you picked up on that. You think that's going to be something that we have to think about a little bit when we're, when they're going, because clearly there's going to be a confrontation. They're going to. There's going to be a, a meeting here with the with, with this big bad. Um, do you think that that's going to be maybe what they should do instead of try to fight? I I, I think that's going to play in. Like the the Duffer brothers have just been really good about their like they don't they don't say things like that in very meaningful moments for it just to be a throwaway, right? Um, you know, because as a dungeon master, you know you're it's almost like a choose your own adventure type thing where like, you're going to drop hints where it's like, well, you know, I don't know. I wouldn't, you don't sense any trap doors. And it's like, wait, are there really no trap doors? Or is he like, is he messing with me? Mm -hmm. And so like when he says that, like he legitimately could have been thinking, he legitimately could have been thinking, you know, well, I don't, I don't know if these characters are going to make it or well, maybe I'm just trying to scare them so that, you know, we do another game night. So yeah, I, I think it, it. If it doesn't come back, I'm gonna be a little disappointed. But yeah, I think that's definitely gonna definitely gonna come back. I I think it's gonna be something too, or and because he he specifically says that he's like we don't have to be a, a hero today. Um, so I don't know, there could be something to that. I'm glad you picked up on that. Um, well, 
Chrissy uh, and and her what happens with her and her interactions with Eddie um, is my number one too. So I'll just add on to that. Um, Chrissy was a new character, and I. <laughs> This is me, not very nice of me, but it was totally just at first when we first met her there at the pep rally. I thought, oh, she's just a, another cheerleader, you know, she's another pretty cheerleader. She's dating um, this Jason, this captain of the basketball team. She's probably got this perfect life and everyone just loves her. Uh, but we find out that's not quite the case because we find out that she has something going on in her life. And Max actually spots her um, as she's whenever Max has to go to the counselor's office, she's um, Chrissy is leaving and she looks very upset. She ends up having a run-in later uh, with her in the bathroom, which you mentioned earlier, super creepy, um, very creepy scene. But, you know, you know, um, there's something going on as she was, um, I, I guess, throwing up, vomiting in, in the toilet. And at first, at first I was like, oh my gosh, is she pregnant? Um, you know, cause she comes out of the uh, yeah, she comes out of the counselor's office and I thought, oh my gosh, she's been talking to the counselor. She's gotten herself into trouble or something and she's throwing up. But it doesn't sound like that at all because when Max leaves, you know, Max checks on her. Chrissy doesn't want her help. She tells her to go away. Well, things got really weird uh, then because then she hears some knocking on the on the door. She hears her mother's voice and then the the mother's voice changes to this very dark sinister sounding voice and as her like i'm gonna say mother in quotes here is yelling at her she's like shaming her calling her a fat pig and saying oh i've got your dress ready i let it out for you in the back and i'm like oh shit i was like this girl ain't pregnant she has an eating disorder um Mm -hmm. thanks to her mother um her mother has body shamed her and i don't know why she that's just deplorable behavior. Um, but this voice grows more alarming. It starts banging open the stall door. Chrissy is screaming. And then all of a sudden she's alone again. And so she's having some hallucinations. Something is happening here. Um, and then because of that incident, she then decides to go out into the woods. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> this is... <laughs> this is- horror movie 101 um why are we going out into the scary woods after you have this very creepy ass encounter in in the bathroom but she does and she meets eddie he is our local drug dealer she's you know gonna get some weed and then like you mentioned she sees that clock in the tree which again i think must mean something we keep hearing this ticking of the clock um so there's gonna be i think something relevant uh to that not sure sure what um, so it disappears and it, it, it stops and here's Eddie. So they have their interaction and it was kind of nice. He was, he's sweet to her. It, you know, he's not yeah. just this, you know, um, metalhead D and D, um, you know, third year senior. He actually, you know, I guess had a previous interaction with Chrissy when they were younger and he's really nice. He seems to be an actual like nice person. Um, so you know, they have this nice interaction out there in the woods, um, but she is actually looking for something a little stronger, she feels. And I'm curious, I don't know if it's just she is looking to, I'm not sure why she's drug seeking. Did were you, is it to help her with these hallucinations, do you think? Do you, I don't know that it's clear. Why is she drug seeking? Do we know? Or is it to help her sleep, I, I, maybe? No, uh, maybe. I, I don't know if it's like, 
if she just think it's if she thinks it's going to help um because like when she was talking with eddie and she's like the first time in the woods she says something about like do you ever feel like you're going crazy and that's like a typical like you know high school thing it's like oh yeah i feel like i'm going crazy every day oh yeah tell but, me teenager you know when it starts getting to the other question like i even feel like eddie almost had like like should i really be selling you like are you are you in the okay mental state to actually do this? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know if she just, I don't know. I've never really like done anything like that. So I don't know if that's a way to help, uh, you know, get past anything like that, or if it's just a way to kind of like null it out. Um, Cause even with like alcohol, I've never been really good about like thinking like, Oh, I'm going to get plastered because it'll help me forget stuff. I just think like if I get plastered, I'm just going to feel like shit the next day and still have to think about whatever I have to think about. <laughs> right. Um, it's still so, going to be there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't sure. Erica, I don't know if she's just either, um, cause to me either she's not sleeping or she thinks it will help calm her, chill her out a little. If she's, I mean, I don't know. I'd be stressed the fuck out if I was having those kinds of hallucinations. And um, so, I, I mean, maybe that's why, but she was wanting something stronger. So he's like, well, that's, we're going to have to get that later. It's going to have to wait because they got, hey, the championship game is coming up. So later, you know, Max, who you mentioned, lives at this trailer park now uh, since her stepdad left. And it's just her mom and her mom's working two jobs, trying to do the best that she can. Having a lot of flashbacks to my own life <laughs> here as I'm watching um, uh, a lot of these scenes for sure. But Max happens to witness Eddie pulling up to his house with Chrissy. So probably seems a little odd right someone like eddie and then someone like chrissy what are those two doing together right does it probably stands out in max's well, head you know and especially since she's like it seems like she's head cheerleader with basketball you know captain senior like power couple kind of thing right right so max takes note of that because it probably is kind of strange to see both of them um together um so he's searching for that ketamine and in the meantime, Chrissy goes in this trance-like state. And this is where I definitely was getting a lot of the um, Nightmare on Elm Street vibes. I mean, the, the bathroom scene very much was – I think it did have some it vibes, but also very much like Nightmare on Elm Street where Nancy in the original movie – well, and everyone in, in those movies, but uh, referring to the original, you know, even – when she was at school, she would have these hallucinations, you know, and then, you know, just kind of wherever she was, you know, she was having these hallucinations a lot. Um, so, you know, it, I was definitely getting those vibes. She goes into this trance like state. And when Eddie comes back in, she, when she's standing there in the middle of the living room, she looked just like Will did in season two. When, oh, yeah. If you think back, they, when they found him in the field, in that pumpkin field, and the shadow monster was possessing him, he was like, you couldn't wake him up. And his eyes were kind of rolled back in his head a little bit, and they were flickering like that. Um, and that was when he was possessing him. So I was like, as soon as I saw her doing that, I was like, this is not good. This is not good. She looks a lot like Will, and we know how that turned out. And it ends up she was like trapped in this weird like was was like her house um but it you know her mom has this demon face which is where i'm getting the evil dead vibes because her mom looked like uh, oh so, yeah yeah <laughs> something from yeah, the evil dead <laughs> it scared the shit out of me i did not like that at all um she runs down the stairs her dad's eyes and lips are sewn shut 
and I think there's something to that. I think that that has something to do with the fact, like, her, we know her mom's, like, body shaming her and has probably driven her to this eating disorder. And the I think the symbolism with her dad's eyes and lips being sewn shut, I think, is someone in the position of either not speaking or not wanting to see what is happening to his daughter, that his wife is doing these things to his daughter, and he's, like, silent about the whole thing. I don't know. It's just what I kind of got from it. Yeah. He's staying blind to it, not 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 doing anything about it ignorant to it yeah and and not intervening in some way um and then she's trapped all of a sudden now we get that big bad coming down and i'm gonna call him back now i feel like that's just what we're gonna call him but this monster who was there in the bathroom he's got these creepy long fingers and um you know it's in this whole nightmare scenario like i said nightmare on elm street vibes here he follows her until she's trapped, says he wants to end her suffering, and then puts those his fingers over her head. And of course, in the meantime, Eddie's freaking out, right? He's trying to wake her up. Like I said, like, hey, I don't like this. You know, what's going on? I'm trying to get her to wake up. But then all of a sudden, she's levitating. She all of a sudden then goes and flies up against the ceiling. Then her bones... Oh, start to break. Oh my God. And these, I mean, it was un- just, I was really freaked out the way that they were like breaking her arms at all of these like angles. Um, her jaw broke and then um, her eyes seemed to like just explode in the back of her head. And it was absolutely freaking horrifying to watch. Um, I-, I had read a little online, like people were like, holy shit, I signed up for government conspiracies and like, you know, some sci-fi <laughs> adventures. I did not <laughs> What the hell is this? You know, people were kind of, but I'm like, I think it's so great um, that, that, you know, because I was genuinely scared. And I don't know if I've really said that too much about watching Stranger Things. It's fun to, you know, this mystery and stuff. But this really scared the hell out of me. And I, I thought it was great. But I, of course, felt terrible for poor Chrissy because it was like she was all alone, you know, um, Eddie was there, but she didn't know. And for her, she was alone caught in that nightmare. And she had to feel all of that. I mean, I feel like yeah. she probably felt all of that. Whatever it was that was happening to her, she knew it. And she she felt all of that. And that death was very much like a nightmare on Elm Street death as well. If, if, you've, if, if you've seen the original, um, you'll know what I'm talking about. But it was absolutely horrifying. Um, and I really feel like this is not going to go well for Eddie, who loves to play heavy metal. He's got the hair. He loves to play D&D. He's local drug dealer. And he's also very sweet. However, um, as we were talking about, um, or what you were referring to, you know, we've got this whole, and I've got a little bit of info for people who may not have, um, maybe not old enough to remember the whole satanic panic thing that was really prime in this time in the eighties. I mean, it started in the seventies. I don't know if a lot of people know that, but it really kind of started in the seventies kind of really grew in, in, in the eighties. It's actually hasn't even really went away. It's kind of died down because people kind of move on a little bit, but it's kind of come back in the last several years. Um, but I'm like, I'm kind of scared a little bit for Eddie because they were seen together. Max saw them together it's not going to look good for him at all. If people are going to tie him, you know, to, to this, um, you know, so I don't know, really scary shit. Um, but it was so great. So yeah. Yeah. It's, 
you know, dead girl. When the episode finished. Oh, good. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, I'm kind of jumping all, all around, but I'm thinking, you know, dead girl found in the house, mutilated body, drugs. Eddie's got antisocial tendencies. Um, this doesn't bode well. Yeah, I feel like you're going to see the police at his house and because it, it's very much kind of like a very like if if they found because their body's not going to still stuck to the ceiling. Right. They're not going to go in and be like, yeah, see, something's weird. Like it's a possession. Right. Like she's probably going to be laying there and they're be like, this is very much a like satanic esque type of like horrific murder. Yeah, like a ritual. And mm-hmm. yeah, and I see you're wearing a Hellfire shirt and like everything you said, like is he's going to be basically like, yep, you did that. And that's kind of, if I remember right, that happened in Nightmare on Elm Street, the original. One of the guys, I think, was getting blamed for all these, so they took him to jail for that. And he ended up killing, or it looked like he killed himself, but Freddie made it look like he killed himself in jail, if I, if I remember that correctly. It's been a minute since I've seen it. Yeah. Well, it, I'm, I don't remember if it was in the original or if it was in one of the sequels. Um, but Could have been. yeah, I, I feel like some of those kind of tie together a little bit, but yeah. Um, and I, and the, whenever I was talking about Max earlier and what I, what I meant that what happened with Chrissy, I, I wonder if it's a little bit of foreshadowing with Max, um, Chrissy went through some trauma and was still ha- had been through and was still going through some trauma, whatever it is that she was going through with her mother, um, her eating disorder, she was not in a good place at all and seemed to be very vulnerable to to this this monster and whatever it is that he he's doing. I think Max is very vulnerable right now. We know she's getting these headaches. She's not sleeping. And she went through this terrible trauma um, with what happened to Billy. I mean, just in general with what happened with the Mind Flayer in season two and three, but then what happened with Billy and having to witness that, I think that um, it's going to make her very vulnerable um, as well. And I just, I'm, I'm really kind of scared for Max. And also with what happened to Chrissy, the breaking of her bones, she's in all these really weird angles. Um, In the flashback that I was talking about with Elle, if you look at some of the people lying on their beds or on the floor um, as, as everyone's lying around, whenever Dr. Brenner's walking through and he finds L, they're at very weird angles too. Like their legs are kind of twisted in, in odd angles. Their arms are kind of twisted in odd angles. Really kind of similar to uh, what happened to Chrissy and what we witnessed. Yeah. And so I- you say that. I didn't think I made that connection, but 10, the the boy he was talking to, mm-hmm. when I saw it, it looked like his head was like, like it was snapped around, like it was facing the wrong direction his body was. Mm. And I just took that as I didn't look at it right. But I think you're, I think you're correct. I think there was, yeah, a lot of that. So I wonder if, and I don't know how, because I feel like, or at least what we know, what we knew then, I don't know if that will stay the same, but like L right before season one, like started, she opened the door to the upside down. So we, we think anyway, or what we're, what we're led to believe is that it started then, but this was a flashback in like 79. So if this, I'm assuming this 
monster, this Vecna, has something to do with the Upside Down? Like, this just doesn't go away? Like, we just keep getting these creatures from the Upside Down and they just never fully go away or they keep coming back? So if she opened this portal, this door, this gate, I believe is what they kept referring it to in season two, um, and the gate that she closed um, at the end of season two, that it wasn't opened until right before season one started. Like that's kind of where we started was gate or um, I'll open the gate. And that's where, when the Demogorgon got out and, and got well. So, but it, it seems like this monster had, I feel had something to do with what happened there at the lab and that L maybe had something to do with like getting rid of him, at least at that time. And that she survived whatever it was that happened. Cause it just seemed, um, too familiar with what happened, what we saw happen to Chrissy there at the end kind of led me. I was like, Oh, they were kind of at similar positions. They just, everything looked very odd. Um, why are they all kind of twisted that way? Um, so I don't know. That's why I, I was also saying that I didn't quite believe that L was the one responsible for that, but I feel like they're framing it that way to make us think that. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good theory. I think very plausible. It, it would kind of, make sense to because yeah like you we've we've kind of had l as the hero for you know three seasons why all of a sudden mm-hmm. would she be the big bad or be tied to it somehow yeah. um but yeah i like that theory uh it's just a, and it's just a theory but um <laughs> we'll see um that was a really good top five do you have some notes um there's a couple things that i thought were fun um so like you know when they were trying to get the, the group together um, because Lucas had the game, like that is very much a D and D thing. Getting everybody to show up on D and D night <laughs> is pretty much a small miracle. I wondered about um, that because I thought they were like, there's no way he's going to go for this. Do you know, you know? So I wondered if that was true. Um, true to nature. Uh, Mike's, Mike's brother, uh, him and Nancy's relationship uh, and his new friend. I like that. He called him Mopey Dick. <laughs> Uh, made me giggle. Like that felt like buds that like kind of know each other. Yeah, Jonathan's a stoner um, now. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, and he said like, "Give that right hand a break." Uh, made me giggle too. But yeah, his uh, uh, L was talking about his uh, smelly, um, smelly plants that he smokes. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't tell Joyce. There, uh, the whole house probably knows. You see the smoke in that room. <laughs> yeah. God. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Either that or there's a family of skunks that live outside. Um, it was funny with uh, Nancy and uh, Mike when their parents were talking and his dad said something like, so can you tell me when they become reasonable human beings again? And uh, like, I, I'm trying to figure out like when they're ever reasonable human beings, mm-hmm. because like my son, like maybe for the first year he was semi reasonable, but like, yeah, he's, you know, six going on. 25 at this point yep um and then uh when they were talking in the car uh um oh why am i forgetting his name now uh dustin's buddy the older guy steve 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 the d um <laughs> when they're talking in the car and he was talking about boobies and fast time at ridgemont high yes he's like vicky likes boobies you like boobies i like boobies 53 minutes so and five thought- seconds <laughs> <laughs> so that made me giggle <laughs> but, but yeah that's all the notes i really had that's awesome i had that too i had um in my notes mommy steven and daddy robin 
<laughs> I love them. I'm so, so glad that they are still friends. You know, I yeah. loved their friendship um, during season three where, ooh, could they be a couple? Oh, not quite, because uh, Robin uh, comes out to Steve. And, you know, so I'm, you know, um, so they can't have um, a romantic relationship, but they have developed a really great deep friendship. So I love that they're still friends. I loved that whole conversation with them there in the car. Steve has grown. He's looking for something more than just sex. Like you go, Steve. Oh, she could be the one. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that they're still friends. Um, I love those two together. I'm so, so glad that um, Maya Hawk is back. I think she is just absolutely delightful um, and a great addition to the cast. And I love the chemistry between her and Steve. So I'm glad glad she's still there and glad they're friends and speaking of of those two this was a good callback i have notes and a a couple of callbacks this is a little bit of a callback when they're at the pep rally and they bring out none other than tammy thompson i don't know anyone remembers i this is all still fresh with me because i just watched but in season three that was a callback to steve and robin's uh, discussion they had just come off of that truth serum that the russians had doped them with and they were both throwing up in the bathroom in the movie theater and they were in there like having a deep conversation and that was when robin came out to steve and had admitted that she had a crush on tammy thompson and that's why she was so obsessed with steve because tammy was like you know paid all of her attention and, and and had a crush on steve um and so robin was like obsessed with steve because tammy was so you know obsessed with him and she had a crush on on tammy and he's like tammy thompson do you know she wants to move to nashville and like be a singer she sounds like a muppet she's like no she doesn't she doesn't sound like he's like yeah she does she sounds like a muppet when she's singing and then who comes back to sing the national anthem at the at the, at the championship game uh then tammy oh, thompson. from nashville from too. nashville yeah so she did go to nashville but i thought that was a great callback i love Love how they remember those things and bring them back. Um, thought that was a really good, good call, Mac. Um, how do my note? Um, Angela is fucking trash. I hope that she <laughs> gets what she freaking deserves. I cannot stand bullies, and she is absolutely terrible. So there's always something bad about a prototypical like valley girl bully, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, don't like her. Uh, I love that already in the first episode, uh, Dustin got his Han Solo moment with an em- Empire Strikes Back um, quote, never tell me the odds line. Absolutely love it. Um, and then I love the just the editing part where, and I, I think that you mentioned it, where we had this back and forth with the D&D game and the championship basically, yeah. uh, basketball game. Really loved that. It It, it really played off of each other the stakes you know for the game both games you know you had the D game the strategizing when they're all huddling together trying to like well, what do we do and you know should, should we just retreat or should we keep fighting and then you've got the the guys at the basketball game they're huddling you know they're down some points and so it was really fun this whole back and forth and go sinclair siblings lucas and erica yeah, Just, I like that a bunch too. Yeah, really came to, you know, um, had their moments to shine. You know, Lady Applejack, you know, big, big hands off to her um, as well. So I, I love that. I love they, they have a really great way of, um, you know, putting those scenes and splicing them together. Um, 
and then was just kind of had some notes about the whole satanic panic thing. I don't know if anyone remembers. I know I am. You you like to remind me that you know you you were born in eighty six. Well, I was <laughs> I was not. I was <laughs> already around, and I remember um, the whole satanic panic um, moment in the eighties. I was a big fan of Motley Crue. Um, you know, and they had their, you know, Shout at the Devil album, which I was a huge fan of, um, you know, and of course, all, everything that went around that and what people were saying about that. I didn't know a whole lot about D&D um, at that time, so I didn't realize that that was a part of it until I got a little bit older um, and realized that they had lumped that into all of it, too. Um, there's a lot that goes back into why, and um, there's also a lot of um, that went along with the music. I was... I remember, I'm old enough to remember, you know, in 85, the Parents Music Resource Center or PMRC that, you know, um, felt that they needed to slap some labels on, you know, music that they felt were, um, you know, sensitive um, and could lead kids down a straight path. Well, I turned out okay. I'm... Maybe a little twisted, but I think I, that was the best thing for the, uh, <laughs> the record companies too. It might have been the best. It just I think made kids want to listen to it even more. If they saw a label, warning label on an album, do you, of course they wanted to buy it. Yeah. So anyway, that is all I've got. I think that- yeah. So like just a little bit more on like the panic. So like there was that Tom Hanks movie, and I remember I must have been like five or six. This would have been like. This would have been like 92 or 93, maybe. Okay. And I remember my dad talking with one of his wife's or one of his friend's wife. And they were going on and on about how, like, I didn't realize they were talking about D&D, but like, yeah, about like how kids play this game. And they go in the sewers and they like beat the crap out of people and kill them. And like, it was like, oh, and, you know, I know a person that knows a person that actually this happened to. And, you know, it's. Like we kind of talked at the beginning, like, well, there's so much, you know, knowledge at your fingertips, right? Like in this day and age, mm-hmm. um, but like there's bad information, you know, now and there was bad information back then too. So yeah, just, the media did just help. crazy what the people media pushed a lot of yeah. things too. Makes me worry a little bit about Eddie. Um, but anyway, yep. You can look that up. A lot of interesting stories there. Um, any other notes? Nope, that's all the notes I have. Great episode. I love it. Like, I'm excited for episode two. And yeah, it's hard to believe it's been three years since we've had a Stranger Things season. So, I know. Um, so bizarre. And it just, and it felt like a nice, warm hat. Like, it just fit right back on my head and I'm ready to go. I know. It, it seemed to almost close the gap. Like, it almost, yes, it's been a long time, but yet it just, they tied it in so nicely. Um, with everything that happened before that it just felt like you just went right in. Um, okay. I do have one quick little interview with the Duffer brothers. I had to be very careful. I probably won't have a lot of other news, um, until the end, um, just because I don't want to be spoiled, but this was, um, something I was able to find that came out, um, just before the season four premiere. So this was a, an article, an interview with the Duffer brothers from yahoo.com. So one of the things that they asked, 
um, them. They said, when you were putting this together, did you have any idea it was going to be this long? Or did you know that the episodes were going to be so huge? Um, Because if you don't know, guys, um, I I know that we posted um, how many episodes there were going to be and the run times. Some of these are movie length. So just this this episode was pushing an hour. Yeah. And like a, a solid hour. Exactly. And they're, they're going to get, there's uh, several of them that are going to be like an hour and a half, basically like a movie. So if, if you don't already know that, this is kind of what they're talking about, um, if they knew that that's um, what it was going to be. So Ross Steffer says, nope, nope is a short answer because actually we had our line producer tell us and he didn't say it was going to be long. He was just like, I think this is double the size in terms of, in terms of scope, scale of season three. And I just said, nope, I don't think so. And then as we were writing it, it just, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that um, we had characters spread out in three different locations. We have a lot more plot. I mean, it must be quadruple the plot we had from season three. Season three was our fun blockbuster season. This season, we knew season five was going to be our last. We had to start revealing a lot. And the more we were writing, the more we realized we need more time in order for these reveals to land, in order for these storylines to work. We knew partway, though, that we needed to ask Netflix if they would be okay if we did nine episodes instead of eight. And then slowly as we started shooting them, we realized, oh, these are mega long episodes. And the interviewer said, so each episode is a movie, basically. And Ross Duffer says, yep. And episodes seven and nine in particular are movies. They're movie length. Nine is a long movie. So then they said, going into season five now, what is that looking like? Is Netflix going to give you that leniency or is that another conversation? And Ross Steffer says, listen, it's our process, but it's just like we really just try to focus on one season at a time. We do have an outline for season five and we pitched it to Netflix and they really responded well to it. I mean, it was hard. It's the end of the story. I saw executives crying who I've never seen cry before and it was wild. And it's not just to do with the story, just the fact that it's like, oh my God, this thing that has defined so many of our lives, these Netflix people who have been with us from the beginning, seven years now, and it's hard to imagine the journey coming to an end. But we wrote it during the pandemic shutdown, the outline for five, and then I haven't even honestly looked at it because it's just too overwhelming. We'll get into it. Matt Deffer adds, he says, I don't think it'll be as long, though. And the main reason I'm saying that, I'll probably be proven wrong, but is that in terms of the final few is going to be more like a return of the Jedi in that, and Ross jumps in, he's like, not tonally. And Matt goes, no, not tonally, but just in terms of they're going from the beginning. There's going to be less ramp up. And I think people will understand what I'm talking about when they see the end of this season. It's like, we're just going. And Ross says, yeah, normally it's like, oh, we get to revisit the characters in their normal lives and how they're doing and what are their relationships like. And Matt says, and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. And Ross says, and then something happens and there's an incident and it goes from there. There's buildup. There's a lot of buildup and setup each season. And five is just going to be pedal to the metal from the opening scene. At least that's what I remember nice. from the outline. Um, so... Hell yeah. Um, that sounds really exciting. Like, they're not going to have, like, this kind of like what, what we have this episode, right? Like, where's everybody now? Six months later, yep. what's what's everybody doing? What's the state of their lives? So it sounds like none of that in five. We're just going for it. Um, nice. One last question. They said, this season obviously takes so much inspiration from 80s horror, but what are your favorite 80s horror movies? And Matt Deffer says, well, we've got a few. 
particularly for the season, the ones we talked about most were Nightmare on Elm Street. That's probably the biggest influence and something that we loved when we were younger, but also it terrified us. Then we're also huge fans of the third Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors, um, which is a fantastic and my second favorite um, Nightmare on Elm Street. We talked about that a lot when we were doing the season. And lastly, I would just say Hellraiser, just because it shook us when we saw it as kids. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he said there was something about it that just seeps under your skin and you can't get it out of your head. And Pinhead just haunted our dreams for many, many weeks. And so a lot of the season was like, how did they do that? How did Clive Barker do that? How did Wes Craven do that? And are we able to get a little of that magic sauce into the season? That was the hope. Nice. Yeah, Vecna does. Now that you say that, give me a little bit of a uh, pinhead vibes. A little bit. I, you know, I will be honest with you. I was not brave enough to watch Hellraiser. So I have, I mean, obviously I know who pinhead is. I've seen clips of the movie, but that is one, as much as I've always been into scary movies, I couldn't bring myself to watch that one. It was just too much for me. He scared the Yeah, same boat. I've seen clips and stuff but yeah i think i tried to watch it once and i think in the first movie pinhead doesn't show up to like 45 minutes in so mm. after like 20 minutes of not seeing him i was like this yeah i don't was i'm not ready you? i'm not mentally ready <laughs> yeah gotcha okay well i think that's a good wrap on this episode let's go ahead and jump into our listener feedback you all take right the first one? pulling that up now all right so our first one comes from wendy ott epper so it was amazing to have all our favorite characters back, all our principals, but also Erica. Loved her in this episode. Steve and Robin's friendship is so cute to watch. Steve has come so far. That ending was crazy. It's all starting again so quickly. So glad to be in this roller coaster with you again. Oh, and Hopper is alive. Yay. Thanks, Wendy. Don Elizabeth says, It's so good to see all these people again. I was a bit confused by the opening with Brenner. He was Eleven's father, wasn't he? That scene was from 1979, so is the number 10 boy who apparently killed all the scientists meant to be one experiment before L? Is he still out there now in 1986? The whole boobies conversation between Robin and Steve made me laugh out loud. I'm glad they're still <laughs> friends. I think they're good together. Chrissy, at first, I thought she was pregnant when we saw the scene in the bathroom, and whoever really kneels or sits on a public bathroom floor, that made me cringe. But then we saw her her hallucinations, so I had no idea what was going on, but now I don't need to worry about her anymore. But did I miss how she got in that condition? Not so sure about Eddie. I feel like he is the season's Billy. He is so obnoxious, but then seemed to care about Chrissy, so we will see how that character develops. I'm glad they explained why he is still in school, since it's obvious that he's older than his D&D psychophants. I just love, love, love that Erica helped out in the D&D campaign and put everyone in their places by being her usual, powerful self. I thought the tension between the D&D game and the basketball game was great. I loved the back and forth. And right up to the very end, we didn't know if they would be winners or losers. Good for Lucas, but I'm sad that his friends couldn't be at the game for him. I hope that doesn't cause a divide between them all, but I have a suspicion that it might. Looking forward to the new podcast, guys. Thank you. All right, next one comes from Maureen Favo. So one, love, 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 Eddie. Two, Robin and Steve. Three, this is a horror season. Dark, dark, dark. Big night for the Sinclair family came through at Clutch. Number four, everything about California activities are comfortable. So hard to watch everyone struggle. Number five, very worried penultimate season will be a downer. Mm -hmm. uh, number six, back and forth between championship game and the D&D &D was the best. 
Penny Lennox says, Team Max here and so thrilled she's going to be a focus this season. Yep. Uh, Shenandoah Grand Pooba Gore. Hope I said that right. I just finished episode one and now I need therapy. <laughs> I mean, you're not kidding. <laughs> that was rough. Um, thank you all so, so much for your feedback on the premiere episode. I went ahead and put up a post for all the episodes with the exception of the last two, which are they're having a little break. I think they're doing... Um, Oh, well, shoot. I've got it in front of me. Let me bring it up really quick. So they're doing the first, what is it, like seven? Because there's nine total. I think the first seven episodes, and then they're doing the last two um, in July. So I have posts up for um, at least this first half. So if you're binging it, um, go find that feedback post and go ahead and leave your feedback, and we'll read it when we cover it on the episode. Um, but thank you everyone so much. We're excited to be back um, for the show. Um, well, and we're also really excited for you to follow us to Hawkins, Indiana. But until then, you can follow us on Twitter at Strange TCast. You can like us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Stranger TCast. And you can email us at StrangerThingsCastPod at gmail.com. And you can also find us on the TV Time app. And you can find Strange Indeed and a bunch of other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Go out and leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to check out Sean and his other podcast, Language of Bromance. It comes out every Sunday. You got any te- teasers out there for us, Sean? What you got coming up? Oh, the, uh, the episode that's going to come out Memorial Day weekend, uh, Richard and I Buy an Island. Ooh, Nice. That would be awesome, if only. I know, right? Yeah. It's a small island, but it's still an island. That's okay. I, I would take any island with, with with a palm tree and some sand and, and a beach. Hell yeah. Um, well, that's awesome. And on Podcastica, so we know you mentioned earlier when we were talking Obi-Wan uh, out on Disney. So that was, I thought, really great. And Jason. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Jason and Jonathan are covering it on Podcastica. So if you're watching that show and you're looking for a great companion podcast, you should definitely check them out. I think they're recording it, I think, this weekend, um, if I'm right. Um, So you should definitely check them out. That episode will probably be out um, maybe around the same time as this one. I have no clue. Um, But be be looking for that. They're going to be covering that. So that'll be great. Um, We are wrapping up uh, the first half of the final season of Better Call Saul. Um, we've got the finale that we're going to cover this week. Um, so yeah, a lot of great things happening. And then we're also going to be recording on the finale of Ozark here on Strange Indeed. So we'll wrap that up. And then, of course, continuing our coverage with um, the rest of Stranger Things. So the next episode for us will be Stranger Things Season 4, Episode 2, Vecna's Curse. Oh, Vecna's <laughs> Curse. <laughs> Doesn't sound ominous at all. No, not at all. All right. Well, that's our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time, I'm Rima. And I'm Sean. And Penny Lennox is strange indeed. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. 
by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.